Lord, we come to you in this time. We thank you that you are indeed with us. Lord, you are constantly reaching out to us, sharing your love, your presence with us. Lord, may we feel that. May we understand those times when we go astray. May we seek you, call out to you, pray to you, Lord. Bless us, Lord, through your word and through our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a point in time when I was in high school that uh, after I became a Christian, I started hanging out with uh, some, some kids who were not doing the right things. And they caused me to start doing some things that were not right. And I remember that to do some of those things, I had to lie to my parents about what I was doing. And I remember coming home one night um, late, later than I had said I was going to come home, and my, my mom confronted me, really, she confronted me, and she asked where I was, and so I told another one of my lies, and somehow she knew that I was lying, and she, she said, no, you're lying, you, you didn't do that, you didn't go there. Nothing worse than getting caught in a lie, right? So all of a sudden, I'm there, like, you know, my eyes get all big, and so then I had to, you know, confess my lie and what I was doing, and, and I got in trouble, and I got punished, and I got some privileges taken away, but you know what, what the worst thing was? is that I lost my mom's trust. And I had to, to earn back that trust from my mom. But the good thing that happened in that is it, it convicted me of what I was doing. It convicted me of the direction I was going. And it caused me to go back to church. And, and I humbled myself before the Lord. And I, and I recommitted my life. And, and I got serious. I really got serious. I mean, that was a turning point in my life when I got very serious about my faith and really began to walk in the way the Lord had for me to live. You know, we've all had times when we make decisions, when we have choices, when we maybe hang out around to certain people that maybe direct us in the wrong way, maybe lead us down the wrong path, maybe question our, our faith or, or cause us to maybe reflect upon, is this really the path I want to go down? We all have had those times when we strayed away from God, and as we come to the story, chapter 19, we're going to see this theme, this theme of going astray, being called back home, and being restored. It is a, a beautiful, wonderful theme in Scripture. But I want to uh, reflect and uh, summarize a, a little bit. Back in chapter 17, you remember that there was a series, a succession of six kings, and those kings were young, and those kings, because they were young, needed advice from their advisors, Right? But unfortunately, they didn't take the advice from the godly advisors. They took the advice from the advisors that led them down the wrong path, led them away from God, away from following God, away from serving God, away from leading the people toward God, right? And the people were led astray and ultimately got taken into exile, right? And so we saw that some went to Babylon and some stayed in Jerusalem, but those who stayed in Jerusalem were still sinning and and things were not going well in Jerusalem either. So God sent to them Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Remember, Ezekiel was the prophet in Babylon to the people, and Jeremiah was the prophet in Jerusalem to the people. And these prophets brought the word of God, right? They brought the truth of God, but the people were so lost in their sin. Unlike my mother convicted me in bringing me back to, to the Lord, these people did not listen to Ezekiel. They did not listen to Jeremiah. They did not come back. 
to God, and they were living in their sin. And those who were in Jerusalem, the land was dealing with pestilence and famine and death. And it was a very low time for God's people. Those who were in Babylon were having their names changed, and they were forced to worship false gods and even treat King Nebuchadnezzar like a god. And so you just imagine the lives of these people who had had so much. They had been following God. God had blessed them. They had this land. And then now look at the place where they found themselves. In a ravaged land or in exile in Babylon. Now fortunately, God sent them more great examples, right? We talked about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who came and in the midst of this unhealthy living, in the midst of these pagan gods, in the midst of these, this foreign land and this sin that was ravaging the land and the people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego led a good, wholesome, strong Christian example. Even in the, in the midst of the possibility of death, we saw that they stood up in their faith for God, believing that God would watch over them, and they gave the people a good example. And then God promised them that if they came back to him, that they would return to Jerusalem. You know, I've taken uh, our church now on four trips to Mexico, but before I came here and and was going to Mexico, I, I was going to Mexico before, but Earlier when I went to Mexico, I didn't really know my way around Mexico. And I remember this one particular trip back in December of 2014. We had had a great week. We were coming home. I was at the end of this caravan following the other cars. We were coming up, and our goal was the border. You can see how wonderful the border is there when you come up to the border. And so there's this this place. There's this light right before you come to the border, you turn left, and then you go up to the border. Now, again, I didn't know my way around Mexico. So, you know, if you ever don't know your directions, you're following someone, I mean, you're like so focused on that car, right? I mean, you're not going to lose that car, right? Well, we come to this last light before you have to turn left, and all the cars made it except me. I got stopped at this red light. And so then the light turned green, and I turned left, and in front of me were three lanes. And I had to choose a lane which lane to go down, right? I thought I'd, because I was looking, I thought I saw them go down the right lane, so I went right. And immediately I knew I was, it was the wrong lane. And I thought, oh no, I'm lost in Mexico. It is not good to be lost in Mexico. And I was, you know, this like panic rushed upon me, right? And I look over at my passenger, his name was Spencer, and I said, oh, no, Spencer, that was the wrong way. And we started praying right at that moment. Oh, Lord, you need to get us to the right place. Lord, and I feel like this was God's anointing on Spencer because Spencer immediately, he didn't know where he was either, and he immediately says, why don't we take a U-turn here, right? And so we take this U-turn, and as soon as we make the U-turn, there's a sign that says, to the border. <laughs> and we take that road, and we're in the right place. So we weren't really that lost. But for a moment, it felt like we were really lost. Have you ever been in that place where you feel really lost? You're really not that lost, but you think you are, and there's this kind of panic that comes upon you as you think about, what am I going to do? 
And I, I remember praying right at that moment, and then I remember shortly after that this, this word from Spencer coming and just God getting us back right on the right path. See, it wasn't until the people realized that they were lost and they called out to God that God said, okay, you're going to be okay. I'm going to restore you. You're going to get back home. I'm going to make this good for you again. And we need to get to that place. We need to get to that place where we say, you know, sometimes I go down that wrong path. Sometimes I make the wrong choices. Sometimes I do the wrong things. And God, I know I need to realize it. I need to call out to you. And I know that you'll forgive me. You'll restore me. And you'll call me back home into your presence. Well, we see right around this time, shortly after Daniel, the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, that Babylon falls to Persia. And the king of Persia is King Cyrus. And King Cyrus issues this decree that the Jewish exiles will be allowed to return to Jerusalem. Could you imagine what that meant to them? When King Cyrus says, you all who want to go back to Jerusalem, all exiles, you can go back to Jerusalem. They are coming home. Now, it's interesting how Cyrus says it, because it's really God putting this on Cyrus's heart, because it was time now for God's people to go back home. So when you see the underlying part, go ahead and read it with me. Ezra 1, 2-3. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the, the God who is in Jerusalem. King Cyrus gets this message from God and acknowledges that God wants him to help God's people build the temple in Jerusalem. To do this, he charges the people to give of their silver and their gold. He charges them to give beyond their regular giving because he understands that this endeavor for the Lord is so important that the people need to commit to this. They need to give of themselves freely. And then Cyrus says, I'm going to give all the, all the vessels of the house of the Lord that King Nebuchadnezzar stole, I'm going to give those all back to you. I'm going to give those all back to you. And so Cyrus leads by example. He gives. And then he says, all of you, you need to give too because this is a worthy endeavor for the Lord. You know, this reminds us that we need to be generous in the giving to the work of the Lord, don't we? We need to give not just our tithe, the 10% that God calls us to give, but sometimes we need to give a little bit more to make sure that the, the work of God is being done. You know, that's really the most important thing, the most important activity we have in our lives is serving in the work of the Lord and giving to the work of the Lord. God calls us to do this. And then we read in Ezra 1.6, And all who are about them, encourage them with vessels of silver, with gold, with good, 
with beasts and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. And so the people responded. The people responded. They said, yes, I want to give to the work of the Lord. I understand how important this is. And they freely gave so that God's temple could be built. Last week, we talked about the word clarity. We talked about how when we went, to, when Grace and Evelyn and I went to the, the Synod Convention in Colorado, that one of the main themes of the, of the conference was clarity. That we need to have clarity of purpose. We need to have clarity of goals. We need to understand who we are and what we are doing. We need to understand that God has placed our church here in Torrance for a purpose, not just to, to worship and to fellowship and to hear the preached word of God and to teach the word of God. We are here, God has put us here to love the people in our community. And we must be unified in this goal of sharing the gospel message, the good news that Jesus Christ has died for all. We need to be unified in this goal in sharing this with the people of God. A few years ago, I was in Colorado, and some friends of mine were having a house built. And uh, I was just visiting, and they knew that I wouldn't be there when their house was finished. And so they wanted me to do a house blessing. But I couldn't bless the house because the house wasn't built yet. So they invited me over to the house where just the foundation had been poured. And they asked if I would do a house blessing on their foundation. And so it was really interesting. We began to walk around the house, and I would say, okay, what, what is going to be in this area? And they'd tell me what room was going to be there, and then we, we'd pray over that room, and, and then we'd go to the next area, and they'd tell me what that room was going to be. And we went through the whole house that way. And I was blessing, I was asking God to bless the house, that as, they, as it was finished and they moved in and they lived in their house, that they would live in a way that would honor God and that, that, that this house would be a blessing to all who came in, and that they would remember that it was the Lord who had given them this house. And it was a wonderful time, even though, even before the house was built, we were able to bless the house. And this is really what's going on here in the story in chapter 19. Because even before God is going to do a work, they're asking for God's blessing. You know, we need to do that in, in our own lives, right? Even before God does a work through us, we can ask God to bless that work that we're going to do for him. Ezra 3.11, And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Why? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. See what's going on here? Oops. What's going on here is the house of the Lord has not even been built yet. Only the foundation and the altar has been built. But they are already praising God for what God is going to do. And the blessing of God being with them in this endeavor. Now I know we, we don't shout very much, right, in life. We definitely don't think about shouting in Worship, but I'm going to have you shout. So you're going to have to help me here. And this is what we're going to shout. On the count of three, we're going to shout, Hallelujah, the Lord has come, okay? One, two, three. Hallelujah, the Lord has come. Hallelujah, the Lord has come. Now, when they shouted that, they shouted that 
because they knew what God was going to do. But even more, they shouted at why? Because God had poured that foundation, which meant the house of the Lord is going to be built on this foundation. You know, there's things that happen in our life all the time. Maybe we're talking with someone and God is allowing us to bless that person and maybe we even take a moment to say, you know, God says, pray with that person now. And you're like, oh, maybe I should pray with that person now, right? And so you take a moment and you pray with that person. Or maybe you just come alongside and you give someone some encouragement, right? At those moments when you feel that God is going to doing a work through your life, you should shout, hallelujah, the Lord has come. Or maybe when you're thinking about doing a work for the Lord and you know that God has this plan for you or a plan for our church, we should be shouting, Hallelujah, the Lord has come. Why? Because we're giving God the praise and glory even before the work is done. We believe that God is a God of promises. Ezra 4 2 says, They approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, Let us build with you. Now, people were coming, right? People from outside are coming here. And they said, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Asharadan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, this is a very interesting part of the story because people from outside of Jerusalem are coming in and they look like their friends. They look like they want to help. Let us build with you. But if you read the context of the story, what you realize is that they're not really there to help. They were afraid what a rebuilt temple of the Lord would mean. They were afraid of what a thriving Jewish state would mean for them. And in the end, these people who came alongside to help actually slowed down the work for six years and then stopped the work of the temple for another 10 years. You know, there are people in our life that come alongside us, and we think that they're, they're our friends. We think that they're there to support us. They think, we think that they're there to help us. But if in any way they are taking us away from the Lord, if in any way they are keeping us from the work of the Lord, if in any way they are hindering us in our walk with the Lord, then they are not our friends. And we need to be wary of how Satan brings people into our lives to keep us from being motivated to doing the work of the Lord, to living for the Lord, to serving the Lord as he calls us. And so the people grew frustrated. As the story goes on, the people grew frustrated and they stopped working on the temple and they started focusing on their own lives, saying, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm frustrated. This is too difficult. I'm not going to do this. And actually, the work of the Lord was put on hold, as I said, for 16 years. How often do we get frustrated in our lives? Maybe we get busy. Maybe we get focused on, on our own things, and we forget about the work of the Lord. We forget about how we are called to serve. We forget about what God really wants us. We forget about that neighbor that needs to hear about Jesus. We forget about that family member that needs us to come alongside them. We forget about these things that God wants us to do because we are focused on the things that we want to do. We get frustrated. We get tired. We get busy. And we start to walk away from doing the work of the Lord. But God is a great God. He never lets us go too far. And in this case, he brought the prophet Haggai. And Haggai comes to be an encouragement to the people. We read in Haggai 2.4, 
Yet now be strong, he says, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And read with me, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Work. Do the work. Do what calls you to do. Be faithful. Don't worry about what others say. Don't worry about the frustration. Don't worry about the tiredness. Don't worry about the distractions. Work, for I am with you, and I will do a great work in and through your life. I will do a great work in and through your church. The temple was important because it was the house of the Lord, but it was also important because it was a symbol of something greater to come. The temple was finally rebuilt in 516 B.C., 70 years after its destruction. And when it was built, when it was complete, it was not only something that gave glory to God as a temple of God, but it was pointing to something even greater. It was pointing to the coming Messiah who would come to truly save his people. God's people had been brought back to Jerusalem and saved from their exile, but ultimately God's promise through his prophets that Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and save his people from their sins. And you see in this story a calling out, a restoring, and a coming back home. And I want to close with another story that has that same theme. It is the story of the prodigal son. It is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And it really, the story encompasses the whole of the Bible, the whole of humanity. The main theme is exile here. Exile and then forgiveness, restoration, and homecoming. That is the theme, not only in the chapter 19 of the story that we read, but also in the prodigal son and even more in the whole of humanity, right? We are constantly going in exile, needing to be restored and coming home. And isn't this what John 3.16 is all about? For God so loved the world. How did God so love the world? He created the world. He created you and me. He created this world for you and me. He called us to be the uh, the overseers of this world. God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, this is a very well-known verse, right? I think everyone, Christian and non-Christian alike, know this verse. Why is it so paramount? Because it is the foundation of the whole of Scripture. It is the foundation of the whole of the Bible. For God so loved the world, he created it, but he so loved the world that he needed to save it too, didn't he? Because of the sin that came into the world. For God so loved the world. We see that redemption is for whoever believes and turns to God, turns from their sin. It's not just about a nation being saved. It's about people being saved. It is personal. It's about you being saved. It's about me being saved. It's about your neighbor being saved. It's about your family member being saved. It's about about that friend, that co-worker that needs to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that they might be saved. In this parable of the prodigal son, Kelly read for us a scripture where the younger son wants his inheritance. And he receives his inheritance and he says, you know, 
I'm going to go and I think I can have a better life away from my father's home. And so he goes out thinking he's going to have a better life, thinking things are going to be more fun out in the world. And he goes out and he just spends his money frivolously and he thinks he's having a good time. And the next thing he knows, he has nothing anymore. And so he becomes a, a servant to, to this landowner. <clears throat> and he gets so low that he finds himself one day looking at the pig's food <clears throat> and thinking it looks good. That's how low he got in his life. He looked at the pig's food and thought, boy, that looks good. Maybe I should eat that. And then he realized, <clears throat> wait a minute, what have I done? What choices have I made? Why have I gone so astray? My father's servants eat better than I do. I'll go home and I know that, uh, and you know this is when you really have some, uh, some deep thinking and understanding of your sinfulness. I'm going to go home and I'm not even worthy to be a son again. But I'll just offer myself to my father as a servant and then there at least I'll have a place to live and I'll have food to eat. And what is so amazing in this story is that when the son is walking down that road, the father sees his son just long distance away. And those of us that are parents, you can only imagine this, right? You see your child and they have gone astray. They have been gone. You, you haven't seen them in, in a great amount of time. You know they're not living the way they should be living. And you see them far away and what do you do? What did the father do? He runs to his son. And he embraces his son. What would that have done for the son? Could you imagine being the son? And have his father lavish his love on him that much, understanding he did not deserve to be loved he had taken his father's money. He had spent it frivolously. He had gone against his father's morals, his own morals. He had done this terrible living. And here his father was showing him unconditional love. He welcomed him into his home. And he threw a party for him, didn't he? Home, what does that mean to you? You know, home can mean a lot of things, right? We know that for God's people, home meant getting back to Jerusalem. For, for us, what does home mean? I mean, home is an important part of life, right? It's a part, place in our life where there's love and security and warmth and provision. But home goes even deeper than that. I mean, it's an elusive concept, right? It's this, this, this seeking for that perfect life, that perfect place, that, that perfect way for us a place where our longings are satisfied. You know, sometimes we have memories of really great events in our past, right? And we kind of feel comfortable in those memories. That's kind of like being home. And yet, we're always longing, aren't we? We're never really satisfied in this life. Our longing leads us to want to be something, united with something greater than us, but we can't get there on our own. And so we reach out and we search and we, we search and, and we just can't quite find it on our own. See, we are all exiles, longing for that place we call home. We, we never feel like we quite arrive at that place. We always seem to be searching, always seem to be 
wanting. This parable of the prodigal son helps us to understand that the sin came into the world, affected us in a very deep way, affected us from really being able to be at peace with God. But then we read about the Savior comes and, and makes us be at peace with God, who forgives us our sins, who, who calls us to himself. But, but still, this longing for a home is still never fully satisfied while we're here on this earth, is it? The story in chapter 19 talks to us about Israel in particular, but in hum- about humanity in general. That we are a lost people, always searching for that right place in life. And yet our selfishness and our sin and our pride so often comes in and pulls us away from that presence of God, and we're constantly trying to get back there. And we see how our brokenness leads us into exile. Our sin leads us into exile time and time again. We live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world where sin abounds around us. We live in a world where there's disease and natural disasters and a world in which everything decays and dies. And sometimes we can get so depressed in our world because it seems so hopeless until we realize that there's a Savior who gives us hope. We realize that there's a Savior who brings us home. We realize there's a Savior who fills us with his love and his peace and his joy. And while we feel peace in Christ, it's not the end of the story. At the end of the story of the prodigal son, they threw a feast, a celebration feast. The son had been lost. He was now found. He's home. We're throwing a party. This is great news. And the Bible tells us that whenever someone who doesn't know Jesus finds Jesus and comes home, there is a celebration, a party in heaven where the angels are shouting and singing and and praising God for that person who found God, who was lost and now is found. But like this celebration feast in the prodigal son, there's also a feast at the end of time, a supper feast with the Lamb of God, Jesus, our Savior, who has sacrificed for the sins of the world and has pardoned us so that we could come home. This feast happens in the new Jerusalem, the city of God, which comes down from heaven to earth where we reside with God and we have this amazing celebration as God's people in the very presence of God coming home. Ultimately, the home we long for is heaven. It always takes me back to the words of Paul. It's like, you know, and this is a summary of what Paul said, you know, I'd really rather be in heaven, but God wants me on earth for some reason. And so while I'm on earth, I guess I'm going to do the work of the Lord here. But I really want to be in heaven with God. And that's really kind of what's going on in our life. We, we kind of want to be with God in heaven, but we know that God has placed us here on this earth for a reason. So let's make that life that God gives us purposeful and meaningful and fruitful. Yes? Amen? I cannot stress enough, as the Bible does not stop stressing this point, God is a merciful, loving, and forgiving God. If you get anything out of the story as a whole, please get this. This is the message that God is a merciful, loving, and forgiving God who wants to be in relationship with us. 
and was constantly calling us home when we go astray, calling us home, calling us home. The main theme of the Bible, as you reflect on chapter 19, is this. And I encourage you this week, maybe you're in small group, maybe you're just meeting with someone for lunch, maybe you're just hanging out with a friend, maybe with your family, share this theme with them. Share what you learned. Share the good news of the gospel. God is a merciful, loving, and forgiving God. He loves you and wants to be in relationship with you, and he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, and you could be in that amazing, wonderful relationship. And I guarantee you, when you get in that relationship, there is nothing better than being connected and united with God in his love. The story is about coming home, coming home of God's people to Jerusalem, but it is also a coming home as we think about Jesus Christ on the cross and we come home to that right place that God has for us. We come home to that path that God has for us. We come home to being children of God, living for God, full of his grace and mercy and his love. Let us pray.